You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Joe, I've been thinking. And really? I think that this city needs a hero. What kind of, like, uh, like an Italian? No, no, not like a submarine sandwich. Although those are good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I do like those. Well, and does it need a grinder? Th- that's another type of sandwich. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. Sorry. What about what, what about a hoagie? Uh, no, that that also is a sandwich and not a hero. Hmm. Or superhero, I should say. Oh, okay. You're talking about like from Gundam Wing. I got you. Okay, I'm on board. I don't know what that is. Uh-huh. But um, no, I was thinking more like a protector in the night. Someone who, oh. who, who guards the city from evil. Who uh, uh, makes sure that criminals are constantly afraid. That fans will constantly doubt the cinematic versions of. You mean like a sassy mother? Yeah, that's exactly what I was okay, thinking. Cool. Yeah, pretty much. I All was right. going to go with Sassy Mother Man. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, the superpowers of guilt. You know me so well. It's been years. Maybe it's all the beer we drank together. Or they were going to drink together. That's a good point. Oh, yeah. Beer. I'm, I'm me. You're you? Yeah. <laughs> I think we've already established who you are. For now. For now? Are you a multiple personality? I don't know. It could be. It seems interesting. I, that would definitely make for a rock solid podcast. If it yeah, out. think about it because you could do all the digital noises yourself. <laughs> or you could, rather, in that <laughs> case. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me just thank you guys for listening to Digital Noise. Sorry, it's a little bit of a delay this time. We had a bunch of titles and uh, a bit of a... Uh, a bunch of st- other stuff going on. A bunch of movies last week. A bunch of shit going on. What are you going to do? Yeah, and I had hemorrhoids. So. And he had hemorrhoids. And he was moving, so. <laughs> yeah, with the hemorrhoids. <laughs> That's where the hemorrhoids Why I took him with me, I don't know. But uh, make sure to click on the Amazon links here on the page for all these images that you see of the titles we're covering. Because if you buy anything starting from one of those links, we get a nice little kickback. Yeah, cut. And we really appreciate the hell mm, out of that. Yeah, we love money. It's so great. Also, please become a subscriber. Always new stuff. We just recorded something last night with a... A sort of overview on uh, where Star Trek is now, including a spoiler review of Star Trek Beyond that's for subscribers only. And we're constantly putting new stuff in those subscriber forms for you. And more than anything else, that's what keeps the site alive. That's right. And you get the men of one of us uh, calendars. No, so. no, you don't. Oh, we're not. Okay, I just that. I just have that you, one. You've then. been pushing for that for a while now. <laughs> well, because the fans are screaming for it. I'm not sure they are. I think they were screaming when you mentioned it, but not yes, give it to me. Well, <laughs> October's a real doozy. Let's just say group shot. <laughs> Maybe if we sell it along with eye bleach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, let's uh, no more futzing about, and let's get right into the reviews. Reviews. <laughs> That's all you're doing there? Yeah. You're the, okay, fair enough. We're going to jump right in with one of the big ones that everybody's talking about and everybody's yelling at us about. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the ultimate edition. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Which is like, you know, okay. So here's the thing. You guys have listened to our theatrical review. Were you on the theatrical I review? I was. So you know how much we hated 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 this movie yes like, yes and we got a lot of people going oh i don't know man i think you could i mean y'all were saying you could tell a lot of stuff was cut out so like i think the ultimate edition when they put that out is really going to fix a bunch and then it came out and those exact same people were like 
dude, you got to see the Ultimate Edition. I think you're going to change your mind about this movie because I think you're going to find that it fixes a lot of the problems you have. And then I, we saw yeah. it. Bro, bro, Jenna Malone. <laughs> come on, Jenna Malone. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> Uh, no. It actually made less sense. I was like, who's she? It didn't add anything no. that fixed it, any issues with the film. It, it fixed having an extra 30 minutes of your life. Like, that's, that's to care of that. <laughs> yeah, if you were like, damn it, what am I going to do with this extra 30 minutes? I mean, you obviously got problems in the first place because you're spending the other three hours watching Batman v Superman anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So obviously you've already chosen poorly in life. (laughs) You're just like, what are you doing with your time, man? (laughs) Like, I get there's still a few. uh, There's some of you out there who are like, uh, despite all reason, or like, I like this movie and I think you guys are crazy or or the, oh my God, the yawn-inducing, you guys have clearly been paid by Marvel. Oh, yeah. I I wish... (laughs) <laughs> Please, Marvel, I'm for sale. They wouldn't even give me free stickers. Yeah, they'd be like, why would we pay you? You already say everything we want you to. <laughs> we already make a product, people like, sorry, DC. <laughs> yeah, I, and I would feel too bad about myself taking money from DC at this point. Nobody would believe me. <laughs> yeah, no, keep it, keep it, come on. Like, this is just such a mess. I mean, I thought Man of Steel was a mess, but this is like, Wow. Well, yeah, because it was—I mean—it had so many non-points in it. It's like focus, people. What are you trying to say here? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think one of my biggest problems is that so much of the movie is just—it wants to have this. And you said it last night when we were talking. It wants to set up this feeling of gravitas, and then have you just sit there and bask in just it, stewing. While nothing is actually <laughs> happening through the bulk of the film. <laughs> yeah, you, you're just going like, I could probably poop. Yeah, 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 I think I could. I, I feel like I could take a long poop and come back. It's like, anything happening yet? No? No, they're still talking about the same stuff about, like, responsibility of superheroes and stuff? <laughs> like, belaboring the point to a ridiculous level? Yes. Well, well, I mean, I do applaud it in that it broke my girlfriend, who likes pretty much any movie. She's fine with anything, but <laughs> she, halfway she's just, like, through... the moving pictures and... Oh, she care. tried to bail. Like, she tried to bail <laughs> during the, the, the whole Batmobile chase scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just brought her back, and, and uh, maybe I'm the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're in for the long yeah. haul, baby. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, when when she hates it, I I know it's super bad. Yeah, and it really was. I'm sorry. I wanted. I'm, of course, I wanted to like this movie. I love the character Batman. I love the character Superman. I mean, really, the best thing in here was probably Wonder Woman. Oh, by far. And even then, there were issues. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we've gone over it before. As a young child, my my wanting to be Wonder Woman still holds true. But not in this movie. Man, Linda Carter just looked like, you know, you just wanted to be her. She was I did. my idol. Plus really the awesome did. theme song. Uh, Wonder Woman! Uh, I discovered I couldn't be Wonder Woman when I realized I couldn't spin around fast without throwing up. Oh, see, so, no, I could do that. Oh, you could? Yeah, and no, I, like, I, I seriously worried my parents because I was going around being Wonder Woman. First job requirement, out of the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now to, to become an Amazon princess, which yeah. you can do today. That's true. With surgery and a bit of, like, uh, you know... Clever forging of passports. It's 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 all within reach nowadays. Yeah, and you know uh, the golden lasso. Okay. Yeah, my Larry of truth is uh, it, it's actually just a, a cocktail of drugs. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a metaphor, Lariat. It's not actually a rope. It's just like this movie is, is a metaphor for watching a pilot, uh, a turd. Yeah, it's a metaphor for actually constructing a movie. It's not an actual movie. It has the 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 
briefest resemblance to one. Uh, oh, God, I feel so bad for Henry Cavill, because I actually think he could be a good Superman if they ever give him a chance. If they let him be human <laughs> at all, you know? Yeah. Yes, I get he's an alien, but, like... That's one of the marks of Superman. He's almost more human than we are. Right. He was the Earthling that was born on Krypton. Yeah. It's like he's like the best in all of us, you know? Um, And none of that is visible in this version of Superman. (laughs) Not even the tiniest bit. All Zack Snyder can think is, he's an alien. Well, what if if he was an annoying reporter at some point, which you get to see more of in the (laughs) Ultimate Edition? Yeah, you do. You get to see a little bit more of that. You get to see a little bit more Lex Luthor, and you know how much we all loved him. And you get to see, uh, uh, what's his face, Jimmy Olsen say he's Jimmy Olsen. Well, that was in the original. Oh, was it? Yeah, he said it in the original. I I thought he didn't. No, I thought he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't remember. Because I thought that was the whole reveal. It was like, (laughs) And also, Jaws' girlfriend and Moonraker had braces, but I'm just saying. Mm -hmm, (laughs) That memory is fluid. Um, Yeah, this is... It's not any better if you were like, I don't know if I want to, even at home, spend that much time watching a superhero movie everybody seems to not like that much, then you've made the right decision. Yeah. Don't, honestly. Just don't. It's a waste of time. And I, if if DC puts out one more less than really great film, they're going to have to reboot the entire fucking thing anyway. So. Oh, God. <laughs> if they can. Like, it might be like 15 years. Wouldn't it be hysterical if they sold DC to Disney? Oh, they <laughs> That'd be the best thing. Like, we'll give it to Marvel. <laughs> Uh, anyway, of course, there's a bunch of feature, special features on here. It almost has to be to sell copies of this fucking thing. Uh, they're all just featurettes about every tiny detail of this thing, about all the characters, about how they built the Batcave, you know, just... Uh, Shit you don't care about. Yeah, I mean, there's the one thing I would have liked to have seen on here is a gag reel. Yeah, if, if anybody actually ever laughed, yeah. are you talking about people gagging on their scripts? <laughs> no, well, a little bit of both, actually. But no, it's just all featurettes. There's nothing, just like the movie, there's nothing really fun here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which brings us to another Batman title, Batman the Killing Joke. Uh, this is the DC animated, um, uh, I forget what they call it, animated universe or animated... They have a specific name. Yeah, for that it's some, something like that. Uh, but um, it's that's being put out by Warner Brothers. Of course, it's the 26th film uh, in the okay, DC Universe animated original movies is what what they call it. Boy, punch it up, guys. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, and this is adapted from the legendary Alan Moore, mm-hmm. a very short graphic novel. Yeah, it's barely over. You sneeze, an, it's barely it's over an issue length graphic right. novel. But it was so influential, it changed the definition of. Batman and the Joker and of course Barbara Gordon specifically yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, just who became role change afterwards John Ostrander who uh, actually wrote Suicide invented Suicide Squad no. or the modern version of Suicide Squad yes. um, he was the one who was like we you know we're just gonna leave her like that and <laughs> came up with the idea of her becoming Oracle right yeah which is a great character yeah I mean it's better than her just kind of like drooling on herself yeah I suppose it is <laughs> but they're still, and it's funny, like, we're, we're just so retconning reality here. I've seen so many people criticizing the graphic novel because they're like, can you believe the Joker raped Barbara Gordon? I was like, the Joker didn't rape Barbara Gordon in that graphic novel. I don't know what version you read. Uh, there's a special <laughs> ultimate rape edition, but that's not what happened. <laughs> I think you want that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's like they missed the point of the whole thing, which is that he, the Joker 
is trying to prove that anyone can become as crazy as he is mm-hmm. on one bad day. I, I was actually kind of shocked they didn't call this one bad day because <laughs> he says it multiple times over the length of it, like that it was all about it. And this also served as the first real origin story, like modern origin story for the Joker, like mm-hmm. who he was, even though, you know, there's several competing stories <laughs> as well by now. But um, that he's, you know, basically broke Barbara Gordon and took a bunch of naked pictures of her broken, not for sexual reasons, because he's trying to drive James Gordon insane. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Now, all that being said, this version of it Uh uh, decided, well, it's got to be longer because the book's really short, this anime version. So there's a whole first third of this that's about her being Batgirl, which she decidedly never actually appears as at all in the original Killing Joke mm-hmm. book. She's just James Gordon's daughter. Yeah, just this this lady. Yeah. Uh, and it has her as this kind of bratty kid who's working for Batman, but is like constantly further, why won't you let me do what I want? I mean, <laughs> totally like a mad daughter situation. And then, oh my God. And then she's a bad she's daughter. She's yelling at him, and then she fucks him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And then when he's like feeling weird about it afterwards, like this is and because he, he was already saying, like, I don't think you should be doing this anymore. This is like I'm you are losing control. Then she's like call, basically stalking him going like, why would you call me? Why would you talk to me? It was just sex. Jesus. You're, you're just a little clingy. I just. It's such a bad representation of woman altogether and this thing is trying feels like it wa- it thinks it's feminist i was like did zach snyder make this <laughs> while he was writing sucker punch yeah he, he, he just had an extra notepad going on the side <laughs> seriously it's so offensive it's unbelievable and so unnecessary to everything else in the story now all that being said, once you get past that first third that is, like I said, completely useless and, and quite frankly, pretty damn offensive, mm-hmm. um, it actually starts the proper Killing Joke story. Okay. It's almost word for word, shot for shot, the Killing Joke. And a decent adaptation. I mean, when you look at the original uh, uh, version of this thing, the original version of the, the comic book, it's just so beautifully drawn. I mean, the artwork uh, by a guy who, uh, Brian Boland, who is best known for working on, like, Judge Dredd and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. it's so hyper-realistic and noirish and gorgeous that there's just no way they could do that accurately in animated. Mm -hmm. They clearly spent a lot of money anyway, because for an animated film, it looks pretty damn good. It's just not going to look as good as the comic. Well, yeah, for one so highly anticipated, you got to bump it up a little. And that's the thing, is, like, Ultimately, this is just like, with the exception of that first third, which is, ugh. Ultimately, it's just those, like, the Dark Knight ones they put out. The Dark Knight Returns Mm two-parter. It's just the fucking graphic novel, which is better, which is designed so specifically for the format of a graphic novel. Why wouldn't I just read the graphic novel? And I kind of came to the same conclusion here. Now, there are a few pluses. Of course, you got Kevin Conroy back as Batman, who is always the best Batman. And you have Mark Hamill back as (laughs) Goody. That was was good. (laughs) Uh, Who does, by the way, who is the highlight of this thing? I mean, his... His readings of Alan Moore's like lines in the in the last third of this are dead on. He just nailed it. You're saying Luke Skywalker did okay. <laughs> I'm saying he did pretty good. All right then. Uh, but ultimately, I think this is just 
another example of just unnecessary. I mean, literally, will take you ten minutes to read the graphic novel. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it'll take you longer to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, as it is as common with all these um, DC animated universe releases, they usually the extra features are pretty good. I mean, I was actually really interested in the sneak peek at the next movie, which is Justice League Dark, because oh. it's going to have like you know John Constantine and mm-hmm. Zatanna mm-hmm. and Swamp Thing. And the and lights are going to be really low. Patrick getting the demon. Ooh. Yeah, and I can't wait for that. Hopefully but, not Enchantress. But then that's a there's really not a hell of a lot more. There's like a whole piece, a, a eleven, a twelve minute piece about how they did the score. Okay. Like the orchestra, which is like, which always bores the shit out of me unless the score is so remarkable, mm-hmm. you just can't stand it. Like I'd watch it about Stranger Things because I was like, well, that was a super neat score. It caught my attention. This is just another orchestral score. It's like, eh. and then there's a special thing that's just like, it's it's like called the uh, the many sides of the Joker, which is really a lot of the time with these things they do a thing which is a point by point history of the character throughout. Mm-hmm. All the comics, this it it te- teases doing that, but then just circles back again into. But this is how we decided to represent the Joker in this movie, and I'm like, I just watched the fucking movie. <laughs> like, I, I would much rather see that the way these these sort of things are usually done. That documentary of the whole history and comics of mm-hmm. that character. That's just a lot more interesting to me. Yeah, bonus feature. Yeah, because for this, it's like, no, we get it. You got Mark Hamill. Like, yeah. you don't have to say anything. Yeah, else. yeah, you had me at Mark Hamill. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a real mess uh, of a a film for the first third and for the bonus features. And like I said, ultimately, just even if it if they, that first third hadn't been there, I'd still come out of it going, really, this is just it's just not necessary. Aww. I don't know why it's here. Uh, it made Money. me sad because I really, really, really wanted this to. I don't know. Maybe try something like it's the, keep to the story, but try something visually and in, more inventive. Mm-hmm. But it sticks so closely to the comic book. I was kind of like, okay, you're just once again. Why am I not just reading the comic book? Well, it, it was like a director's day off. <laughs> yeah, uh, and written by Brian Azzarello, the script. And I'm just, I just have never been able to get into that guy's stuff. Well, I don't have anything personally against him. It's just like. I, even a hundred bullets, which is one of his most praised things, I was like, I just, I just don't get the appeal of this. Hmm? It's a lot of people like it. I'm just not one of those. Uh, next up is Hardcore Henry. Henry. <laughs> this is, um, I believe it's not the first, but it is the first wide release, completely first person uh, act, movie, mm-hmm. um, and it's straight ahead of full on. Gore and explosions and tits. Yeah, uh, shoot action shits. film that is basically a first-person shooter. If it was, yes, uh, the graphics are the best they could possibly ever be. Right, it, it was just <laughs> missing the icons for like uh, low ammo and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the idea here is uh, this guy basically wakes up and finds that he's been made into a super cyborg. And uh, and then bad guys show up and take his wife, and he's like, "Oh no, I'm gonna." I'm, I well, no, he's like, mm, because he doesn't talk. Yeah, he doesn't talk. Yeah, he, they haven't finished his voice circuits yet. Just short. Yeah, so which is convenient for this type of film. Quite. So uh, he goes on a mad killing rampage to try and get his his wife back, uh, or is it wife or girlfriend? It's his know, wife. This is his wife. Okay. Um, and he doesn't, he's only, he kind of remembers stuff. He's kind of amnesiac, too. He remembers bits and pieces that flash back. But throughout this, he keeps meeting <laughs> um, Shalto Copley, who keeps being regenerated, basically, in total, really wildly different 
personality. Yeah, to people. just having a good time. <laughs> Actually, I really love Charlton Copley in this movie. Yeah, no, he was he's great. my favorite thing about this. He just had got to have all sorts of fun. Yeah, he's like, just think of a bunch of really crazy, exaggerated character caricatures, and then you get to play all. Of them. Yeah, he was he was just Murdoch from the A Team, just a whole bunch of times. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah, this is like, I mean, there's barely any plot. No, there doesn't need to be. That's yeah. not the point of this. No, I mean. Obviously, this is not going to be everybody's cup of tea. No, by no. default. But if you are somebody who really likes action movies, or even if you're somebody who just who's who can sit there and watch someone play FPS if it's a really cool game, or like, if you wanted to know what it was like to be a parkour person, but you didn't want to actually yeah. get off the couch. Very true. <laughs> I mean, this is one of those like I kind of wish they had filmed the thing this thing with um, uh, 360 cameras so that you, mm. this could have been one of the first VR movies. Yeah, how great would this have been if you could have just put on the little VR camera thing and then seen everything as the movie. Movie was Keep going looking on. at the girls' butts. I, I know bet, what you're saying. I bet you, I wouldn't be surprised if they do a sequel that way. They might. Yeah. They, they, I mean, that's if you got to go bigger. That's how with this kind of movie <laughs> you go bigger, right? Um, yeah. No, I had fun with it. It's it's very gory. The effects are good. Some of the shit I just couldn't figure out how they did. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the stunts that are like, God damn. Well, uh, I mean, the, the 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 editing points, the the jump points are, are pretty well pretty. Uh, they're kind of jarring. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, there aren't that many. Yeah, but oh, and he he uh, he once in a while has memories of uh, his dad, who is played by Russian John Voight. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I honestly I was surprised as anybody, but I, I do in fact recommend this. I, I think. Yeah, I, I I wasn't either way about it, but I certainly wasn't in the positive category going in, and yeah. now I'm like, yeah, go kind of made it. you wish you'd seen it in the theater, though. I yeah, <laughs> probably it's all bigger and splodier. It was really fun in the theater, um, and I, this is one of those movies. It's a shame if you haven't seen it yet that you're going to have to watch it on Blu-ray instead. Watch it on the biggest TV you can find and get up close. Is yeah. My recommendation. Ruin your vision. Uh, this comes with a selection of a few deleted scenes. Uh, there is a thing with the writer-director and Charlto Copley uh, answering fan questions. Uh, there's an audio commentary with the director. Uh, well, two different direct audio commentaries. One with just by himself and one with him and uh, Copley as well. So, anyway, it seems like a moderately solid package for what ultimately, although it doesn't look like it, is a pretty low-budget film. Yeah. You know, they did a great job covering up being a relatively low-budget film. Because it looks good. Uh, next up is No Men Beyond This Point. Uh-oh. Um, you know, I can't decide... I mean, this was directed by uh, by a man okay. and written by the, the, the same man, Mark Sowers. And half of me almost thinks this is not a feminist movie at all. No. Well, to me, it was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, please let this SNL skit end. <laughs> it's supposed to be a mockumentary, but there's barely any humor in it. No, because I think they don't know how to write humor. Um, it's an alternate world where in the 1950s, suddenly women started asexually through parthogenesis, having children without having children on their own, without the aid of men at all. And it became clear after a while that even women were not being able to have children with men. They were only having children on their own, just spontaneously. That made me wonder about genetic diversity and how long it would take the human race to break down. Yeah. Well, that. I mean, the ultimate pre- the premise ultimately makes absolutely no sense, of no, course, no. because that couldn't happen. No, but that I being said, like I can get past that just for the purpose. I mean, it's a premise. I'm like, okay, I bought wackier shit than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like I, lo- I watch The Flash on TV every week. <laughs> that all adds up. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, and when this starts, it's the 2010s, and there's 
there are men left, but they're almost all like in their fifties and sixties. Mm. It's like the one of the characters we're following is like in his thirties, and he's the youngest man alive. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> he actually works for a family with two women who are together and their children. And as it goes along, it becomes clear that one of the women is who's an artist is starting to think of him as maybe more than just a catches her eye. Yeah, her artistic, eye. which is considered to be not. Okay, in this world. Yeah, don't be sloshing about with the gross Jenny girls. <laughs> the men have all been put off into camps, you know, uh, with it, which is basically just the woods. It's like, don't, don't go past this line. You guys can go camping as long as you want. And yeah. they're well taken care of. They just, you know, I don't know. At the same time, it's, it's, it's really almost just as, like, against men, really, because everyone in this is just such a clod. Yeah. And so, and, just a and, dumb piece of yeah, shit. All the men are, are viewed as very dumb, except for the one young guy. Mm. And then all the women are, except for the, the, the woman who likes him, are really sort of shrill harpies that are, like... You know, they're going, oh, you know, if, if women were in charge, they'd be just like men are. It wouldn't be any different, which might very well be true, but they're imagining a 1984-ish type situation here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I found it kind of funny that the, 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 the heartthrob, which would be true if he's the only dude around, uh, would be appealing but he's basically like, you know, like mid thir- mid 30s dad wearing dockers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he looks like me 10 years ago. He's, he's got like, a puffy butt. He's a little schlubby, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but you know, I mean, if that's the only dick around and you suddenly find that I really would like some dick, then that's your go-to I guy. I guess that's the thing. I mean, regardless, um I, I don't know. I mean, I think the biggest problem is if they had tried to make this funny, it's just not funny. There's, nope. In fact, I couldn't even detect many actual attempts at jokes in this. I guess it's just a, oh, look how preposterous this whole premise is. Yeah. But I just went, uh, it's it's a really badly thought out Black Mirror episode. Well, too much <laughs> of it relied on the stupid uh, office, U.S. office long shots uh, to, to try to induce a bit of discomfort. Yeah. And that no, you you got to have something built around that. Yeah, I agree. I, I really wanted to to like this because I said this is a funny premise, and you could do a lot of funny stuff with this. They just thought, oh, we have the premise that should be good enough. Yeah. And by the end, I was like, you guys, I mean, clearly, you. I don't even know how you could make this film without having some sort of agenda, but they seem to have just in general misanthropy. <laughs> kind of yeah. like a lazy misanthropy. We're very lazy. Like we don't really care that much either way. <laughs> like yeah, it's kind of slackerish. <laughs> like I was really unimpressed with this. But uh, hey, what are you gonna do? Uh, let's move on to something that I, I who knows if it had an agenda or not. Uh, Crimes of Passion by the always a little wacky Ken Russell, British mm. film director who uh, brought us such films as The Who's Tommy and Altered States. Always known for bringing stuff that is sort of consciousness-altering, and Crimes of Passion is no exception, although more in a sort of sexploitation film sort of way. Yeah, kind of like the dude really wanted to make like a grindhouse flick or a porno or something. Oh, yeah, this is totally, like, very much kind of a grindhouse flick, just through like the haze of a bad acid trip yeah, through the, through the new school from the 80s yeah uh it follows this guy bobby who's like just a middle class dude works in an electronics store uh he's married to annie potts They're, playing playing basically annie potts yeah uh <laughs> yeah ghostbusters <laughs> um 
who their marriage has definitely cooled off significantly. Yes. But he's in complete denial about the whole thing. Um, but he gets asked to basically spy on one of this, this guy who owns a fashion design house to spy on one of his employees, Joanna Crane, played by Kathleen Turner, who he thinks is selling clothing patterns to his competitors. The deal is, though, what she's doing with her nights, mm-hmm. she's becoming a high-priced call girl. And if she wanted to be a freak and sell it on the weekend, it's not no, your business. She's not even a high-priced call girl, I don't think. She's just a no, street she's, girl. she's just around. Yeah, I mean, she's hot. I mean, Kathleen Turner back then was hot. Wait, you mean China Blue? Yeah, she's China Blue and is, you know, has a bunch of regulars she sees all the time. Yeah. And, you know, and... Uh, and then this one guy who's recently started following around, uh, a reverend, or I, he thinks he's a reverend, uh, played by Anthony Perkins in, mm-hmm. like, the most full-blown crazy, crazy he's ever been on screen. <laughs> like, like believe me, the Psycho films ain't got nothing on his performance here. No, no, he's <laughs> shooting for the stars in this one. Yeah, I, I gotta make a... a, a confession as i was watching it it was up until halfway through that i was like man this b has the worst kathleen turner impersonation i've ever seen what seriously oh shit that's kathleen that's turner. actually kathleen turner <laughs> no i didn't recognize her without jowls <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't romancing any stone um yeah, it just gets weird super fast. I mean, pretty much when Bobby starts uh, dating China Blue as well. And yeah, wanting dating, more, fingers quotes. Yeah, having sex with, but then deciding he likes the real girl behind her, Joanna. You know, which is a something you wouldn't do today anymore. It's like, oh, this guy is going to save this prostitute. Yeah, she this, doesn't know what she's doing wrong. <laughs> this hooker with a heart of gold and a brain of syphilis. Uh, but, like, uh, meanwhile, Anthony Hopkins is getting more and more crazy, and he has a sharpened metal vibrator that's his killing weapon. Is yeah. killing other prostitutes around town. But the scenes with Kathleen Turner and Anthony Perkins in here, you can't turn away from them. They're no, because like, they're creepy. They're creepy. The dialogue is, like, really good. <laughs> it's, like, really funny. And the way Perkins de- – I think I said Hopkins earlier by mistake. Anthony Perkins, the way he delivers the dialogue is so, like, one moment he's just so lucid, even funny. And the mm-hmm. next minute he's just this raving lunatic. Uh, yeah, he's back to bananas. Yeah, it's – I guess ultimately this film, as offensive as it probably is by today's standards, is a lot of fun to watch. Well, it, I, I, you know, it made me think back to, like, how did we backslide so much, uh, you know, because the 80s was pretty damn raunchy. Yeah. And and, and we are decidedly not anymore. No, no, not, not, not by those type of definitions. Um, and this was like, I mean, shit, I saw this when it came out. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, I don't know how I was allowed to see it. I shouldn't have been. <laughs> I think I, you know, I don't. I, I didn't see it in a theater, mind you, but I saw it right when it came out on videotape. Because mm-hmm. at that point, I was already a Ken Russell fan. I was like, "Ooh, what's this new Ken Russell movie? <laughs> oh my god! Whoa, I'm learning things. Something just grew in my pants. Uh oh, I bet that? it was interest. But yeah, this is the new Arrow uh, video B- Blu-ray version of it. And Arrow has been really working their way up in the industry as the new guys to bring up like a bunch of really obscure but decent titles from exploitation and sexploitation and and um martial arts and 80s action and horror just finding these films that we, everybody else forgot about yeah. except for the most extreme critics and fixing them up like insanely well uh this is a great looking transfer of this thing i wish they would do streets of fire <laughs> you and your damn streets of fire. Listen to the fucking commentary, people. 
Uh, there's a director's cut and an unrated cut on here. Uh, audio commentary with Ken Russell and Barry Sandler, which must be older because Ken's been dead for a few years now, I believe. Oh, it's on the grave. Yeah. Um, uh, there's an interview with Barry Sandler, who was the writer and producer. There's a, a look at Rick Wakeman, who was a pretty popular 80s musician, although not one of those guys who people, we still hold in that high esteem anymore, I'm no. afraid. Uh, <laughs> but uh, who worked uh, with on this film and with uh, uh, Ken Russell and several other of his films. There's a couple deleted scenes uh there's a music video uh that ken russell directed for for a rick wakeman song called it's a lovely life and uh that was a promotional thing for for this movie and that's about it but it's that's pretty solid collection yeah of stuff. yeah for, for a movie that's so weird that you like kind of should see it no no you, you should just watch it anyway like it's not that weird it's pretty weird but it's not that it's not like i don't know it's not like pink floyd the wall weird you know? Yeah, it, it's not I mean, like, it's all linear. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You're like, there's no point you're like, I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> like that kind of weird. It's mm. just weird, like, just sense of style. It's like, what's his name? It's like Michael Mann had a wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's all like dark neons and, and sexy people running it's around. Gritty. Uh Next up is Viral. Yeah, it kind of was. What kind of was? Yeah. It kind of was viral? Well, it certainly gave me chills. Did it? No. No, okay. Well, this is a directed direct to DVD and VD, VOD film directed by Henry Ju- Juiced and Ariel Schulman, who uh, were the the catfish guys. Yeah, the old Justin Schumann. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who, who made Catfish and Catfish's TV show and Paranormal Activity 3 and 4. Uh, you know, three is the best paranormal activity movie. I'll give them that. Okay. Other than that, I don't have anything to give them. No. Yeah, sorry. Um, and this isn't terrible. It's just forgettable. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there's another one that we watched that was just downright boring. And this isn't downright boring. No, it goes but, by fast. Yeah, but it's it's not. It's old. only 85 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a, it feels like a pilot for a, like a. a TV show, a horror TV show on TBS or something. Ooh, I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> Just kidding, I'm a TiVo. Uh, the, the basic idea is you follow around these two sisters, uh, and their parents are out of town and and trapped from coming back into town because uh, there's a viral outbreak and they've closed the airports and everything. Yeah, and, you can't go nowhere. And they're like, viral outbreak, whatever. We're gonna go to a party, you know, because <laughs> you got to teenagers in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And of course, everything goes crazy because this viral outbreak are worms that get in your head and make you basically have a rage virus. Yeah, you know. Except in this particular case, they like to once you're full blown infected, they like to like stick out of your ears like antennae and like smell the air. Well, and, and just to prepare you for this, they they go over toxoplasma in a bit of detail. Uh, more than we needed. <laughs> more than we needed. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's just nothing terribly original about this. The only thing it shot in this whole thing that I went, ooh, that was cool, was when we see that scene where the guy's got the worms sticking out of his ears, sort of smelling the air. I was like, oh, that's creepy looking. Yeah, it's kind of my favorite Martian for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it's okay. It's best blessing is that it's over quickly and, and it gets to business quickly. Yeah, I give it my seal of I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't, I don't hate it. But if you ask me a year from now if I saw it, I won't be able to tell you. <laughs> uh, next up is the perfect husband. Is he? Yeah, we don't know. Wow, oh, that's man. the question behind this Italian independent horror film being produced, put out by, uh, distributed by Art Exploitation Films. 
Okay, so you got this couple, uh, Nicole and uh, Nicola and Viola. Who their names are? Yeah, oh, that's, that's why they got married. It's adorable. Yeah. Uh, who have had some troubles in their marriage. Um, uh, had a lot to do. She had a pregnancy that had to be terminated early, uh, and sh- they decide they're going to a weekend to an old cottage that belongs to a friend of theirs deep in the woods. Which, if you've ever seen any movie ever don't made, do that is shit. always a bad idea. <laughs> that never turns out well for anyone. I don't care if it's a romantic comedy; it's going to turn out badly. Yeah, we took the that. Delta eighty eight out to it. What, what's the worst that could happen? But uh, as she goes out, as they go out there, uh, it looks like maybe. Her husband is starting to, who is at first is like the nicest, sweetest, most considerate guy mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. He's the titular perfect husband. No, that yeah. maybe he has anger issues to an extreme psychopathic level. Mm-hmm. But then again, maybe he doesn't. Uh oh. And one of the most obvious harebrained moments, like in a third act moment ever, where you're just like, Seriously, guys, so what the fuck did I watch that whole movie for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I mean, I actually thought the performances in here were solid. Did, uh, okay. Uh, no, I did. I liked them. I thought they had good chemistry together until it just started going too goofy. Mm. Uh, like, once it turned into more of a straight-up horror film, I was like, yeah, I'm just, okay. And it's really kind of, I go the, I get they're going for a modern startling. I mean, this is a sequence where he's just repeatedly punching her in the face, mm. like flat out just, you know, cock, cold cocking her in the face. I'm like, I just don't want to see that. You know, it'd be one thing if he was a masked killer coming at her with a knife because there's a sense of unreality about it. Mm. This is this, this husband who one minute ago was telling him, telling her how much he loved her, and then we like got mad at a, an instant and just starts punching her. I was like, graphically, I'm like. I'm really uncomfortable watching That's this. It's because she trusted him. <laughs> she shouldn't. You should never trust any man ever. No, no. <laughs> no I was just. Ugh, I didn't like anybody. I didn't like the story. I didn't like how it was shot. I was just like, I don't like this. Yeah. I, I'm just. I, I was done with it the moment I started. <laughs> you already checked out at the credits. Oh, I hate these Pretty credits. Much. Like, oh, driving. Oh, nobody ever has been seen driving in a movie. Helvetica. What is that? <laughs> Stupid font. Lazy choices. <laughs> yeah, I. I don't know. I mean, like. Artsploitation sometimes puts out some really neat offbeat stuff. Um, this is one of those that actually felt so by the book, standard, mm-hmm. old school twist thriller. Like, there's nothing about this that wasn't predictable. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just get M. Night to. to... <laughs> yeah, it felt like an M. Night film. Well, like, except not as original. Yeah, not like as that. clever. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I wanted to like that one. I'd heard some good stuff, but they were wrong. Yeah. Uh, next up is moving out of horror and into sort of political commentary, comedy. I don't really know how to define it. I mean, it's a comedy, but with a lot of drama mm-hmm. called A Perfect Day uh, that, uh, that uh, played Cannes. This is uh, – a it, it didn't – I guess it didn't get a theatrical release here, I don't no. think. But um, it is for this director, Fernando Leon, Leon Diarona. It's his English language debut, and he got a solid cast, considering Benicio Del Toro, Del, uh, Tim Robbins, Olga Kur- Kurilenko, Melanie Thierry. I mean, that's pretty solid cast for your for, you yeah, know, sure, to, for your, yeah. your launching in English. But uh, basically, Benicio Del Toro, Tim Robbins, and Melanie Thierry are um, – aid workers uh, in they're somewhere in Yugoslavia and it's right at the end of like a war that's been going on there and there's like they're going around trying to like avoid mines (laughs) drive around cows 
<laughs> um, and oh, their big goal is that somebody keeps sabotaging this one village as well. In this case, they took this huge fat dude and di- killed him and dropped him to the bottom of the well, which is going to, <laughs> within 48 hours, poison the water to the point where it's unsalvageable. Right. So they're like, well, we got to figure out how to get this guy out of the well, which means getting a selection of supplies they don't have, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. leads into a wacky road trip across wow. Yugoslavia. Um, and they bring in Olga, Olga Kirilenko, who plays a... Uh, um, uh, uh, it was Benicio del Toro's former lover, who is kind of they're kind of antagonistic towards each other. So it creates a minor bit of tension, never that much. I mean, I think at, at the best, I thought that the chemistry between all the leads was great. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, Tim Robbins is the funniest I've seen him in a long time in this. I thought he was really funny. He's definitely the comic relief here more than anything else. I mean, there's some actually really like holy shit, like kind of tragic moments in this as well that involve this like little boy they sort of adopt along the way searching for his parents oh yeah I didn't watch it (laughs) oh you didn't watch this one no I thought I had Uh, Uh, and then when I was stepping out the door I was like shit didn't watch that one (laughs) Uh, yeah I mean it's it's good it's worth watching I mean it's a solid it's 106 minutes you won't be bored it doesn't feel like it needs to bang you over the head with any sort of agenda whatsoever but it's still at the same time you know given the whole like there are people out there that this is their job and this job sucks, but my God, you've just got to be the fucking nicest person in the fucking world just to decide that this is what you're going to do for a living in the first place. I mean, like, what a shitty profession. <laughs> you're like, are you serious? This is what you do? It's like, well, thank God somebody does it because I'm not gonna. No, sorry. <laughs> and it's not even trying to be like, it's not a sales pitch for becoming one of these people either. It's just a comedy for, like, a comedy drama for, like, what their life is like. It's kind of a, a slice of life comedy and on the whole it works as that and that being said give to unicef <laughs> yes you should uh next up is born to be blue boy was it <laughs> what blue yeah like the color blue yeah it's blue of a diva die i don't know what just happened there <laughs> was that a jazz reference no no that's a mid-90s uh euro dance uh, is reference. it okay see that's why i wouldn't have gotten that Sorry. Pretty much exclusively listening to punk at that point in my life, I think. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is actually a jazz film uh, starring Ethan Hawke uh, that is described as semi-factional, semi-fictional, which is not entirely Mm. different from the Miles Davis one they just made, Miles Ahead, which was like, that didn't actually happen, but it's totally something that Miles Davis would have done, is how it was described by his family. And I think that some of this is that same way. I mean, the main thing being here, with Ethan Hawke playing Chet Baker, it's about his relationship uh, with this actress named Jane Azuka, who is not a real person, but she is a... The the events that happen between them is a composite of his relationship. Yeah, she was smushed together. (laughs) Yeah, she's a composite of of multiple different women that that he had relationships with. And, uh, boy, I didn't know... uh, I didn't. I know who Chet Baker was and had heard his music, but I had no idea that like early on, oh, like, no. just as he was starting to make it big, these mob guys smashed in all his teeth. Yeah, and he couldn't play for years. He had to relearn how to play completely. That embouchure, baby. Like once once it's gone, it's hard to get back. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was like, holy shit! And it's kind of weird watching Ethan Hawke walking around with like. Mush, looking like that kid from Stranger <laughs> Things, you know. I haven't seen that <laughs> oh, yet. Sorry, spoiler. Ugh. It has no front teeth. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think this was as, as fun as. Uh, well, it's not even really fun. That's no, the right word no, to describe really. it. Uh, Miles Ahead is actually fun. This is because it's almost kind of an action comedy at mm. points. This is 
really just the story of this guy's life and his struggles with heroin. And I think Hawk does a great job in the role. I think uh, Carmen Ejogo, who plays the love interest, Jane, is great. And she's gorgeous. Oh, my oh, God. Yes. She's just lovely. But, you know, it's just – it's really wants to be sort of a jazzy sort of style to it. And once again, so did Miles Ahead, and I thought it did it a lot better well, than this yeah, one. Did. Yeah, that, that was the problem. Like, uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with Chet Baker and with the scene that, that he was in. Mm. Uh, and You did a lot of heroin, too? You played the trumpet. Did, sure. <laughs> uh, but it, it wasn't it wasn't jazzy enough. Like, like, Bebop is very different than what he was doing, but, but like... I keep going back to uh, Birdman. Yeah. Like, as far as Bebop goes, like, even though it wasn't directly Bebop, it was a fucking Bebop movie. Okay. And, and so, like, this, this was this was not enough, like, what, uh, jazzy enough. Like, it, it, it kind of toyed with it, but it just never quite punched through. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, part of it is that Chet Baker certainly was, as you said, he was not playing Bebop. He was actually playing much more laid-back yep. type of jazz. And yeah. this definitely has that sort of feeling more. I mean, it's not like manic this movie at all no really um but it does it's it's tempo does suit his the tempo of his music i'll say that <laughs> um it, it's it's very laid back though a lot of it even though i think its biggest strengths come through the intensity of the performances um but it just feels like there maybe was a better movie to make out of the same yeah because this wasn't it well like like uh at one point uh, he's he's talking to his dad because he's getting his life kind of back together mm-hmm. uh but his dad basically calls him a shithead for having been a shithead for so long yeah and you're supposed to feel bad for him yeah i was like but he has been <laughs> yeah you, you earned it <laughs> he's been a junkie you know i guess everybody was back then i don't know what was that like joe uh, what was? Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you when I'm on the other side. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, next up is a touch of Zen. This week's Criterion release. Just a little bit of Zen, not too <laughs> Just much. Just a touch of Zen. I was thinking in my head when I asked for this that this was that Amy Yep Chinese sex comedy. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> this, I forget what it. It's something. It's got Zen in the title too. And I what? Was like, sex and Zen? Yeah, that's the oh, one. Okay. I thought there was Sex and Zen. I was like, oh sweet, I get to watch Sex and Zen. Oh, we can, Yip's fucking hot, dude. If we could watch some pink movies, I'm I'm down. Oh, dude, you. Uh, it's too bad. I should have saved the. I got pink movies for next week with Marco. Oh, female yeah, female yes. prisoner scorpion series. No, oh, man, they're great too. I bet. Yeah. I wouldn't know. Uh, but this is decidedly not a pink film. No, this is a touch of. Zen is a 1971 wuxia film and maybe the first true wuxia film yeah i mean it's certainly credited as being the sort of groundbreaking one for this style which is just say lots of people who can for all extents and purposes fly and or at least jump very far like the young uh superman Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) and and there's lots of sword play and everything has this overlay of sort of almost fantasy you yeah. Know? Um, uh, although this definitely doesn't have the sense of this feels more like it wants to do an epic historical drama overall than those films do. Well, you mm. can definitely like you'll you'll see lots of where uh, Crouching Tiger drew from. Oh yeah, and Ang Lee said this was one of his biggest influences. Yeah, which which rightfully so. Which you can totally see that. But at three hours, <laughs> yeah. If if you don't like slow pacing, this is not the movie for not you. Not the film for you. And it's basically this guy Koo, who is a you know a nice guy. He's, he's just a, a dude. He's a student. Uh, he lives with his mom, who's a little bit like you know harangues him a bit, but she's not so bad. All he's a good for nothing artist. Uh, yeah, he's he's artist sells his art. He's a very good artist, but uh, he sort of 
forms a weird sort of relationship with various I, and not to get too deep in the plot because it gets actually relatively complicated yeah. but w- what the upshot of all this is there's this princess who's on the run from uh, a coup against her kingdom killed the rest of her family and they all want to kill her desperately because mm-hmm. she's the last member of her royal line and she has escaped into this town oh and she's the mother of dragons uh, no, she's not the mother of dragons. We are confused. We're not reviewing I, Game of Thrones yet. I thought that... It would yeah. have been cool if she was. Okay, never yeah. mind. <laughs> I would have loved if a dragon had popped up <laughs> in the third eye. I would have been like, what? What? Now it's getting good. <laughs> uh, and so... It, it takes a long time to get to the plot as is. Yes. Like to even find out that fact is like about the halfway point mm-hmm. of this thing. <laughs> like a whole movie has gone by, and then you learn that. Uh, like eventually, it ends up being a thing. Was like, oh well, now everybody's got to get trained up more. We got to team up with some Buddhist monks. So, and by the way, the movie makes sure you know. Buddhism is awesome. Shit, yeah, it is. Yeah, Buddhism regularly makes an appearance by like a bright shot of the sun, right going right behind one of the monks, <laughs> so you can't really see them. The sun's like haloing them. But no, Buddha's gonna fuck your shit up. Yeah. Well, I mean, like when I'm not skanked out on the dopes, like I'm yeah. usually doing Buddhist stuff. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, but when this movie is fun, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. like, the action scenes are really well done, especially for a film in this time uh, out of Japan, where like there were sword fights, but they were never as extended as this was. Mm-hmm. This is a, like a series of really long and intense and acrobatic sword fights that are pretty fucking cool, um, and some pretty weird shit that happens in the third act as well. Originally, this was released as two movies. Okay. Yeah, they were going to just do it as one, uh, and uh, apparently they were like, okay, well, we're just going to split it up into two. And it was so long, that seemed to actually make a lot of sense. So, uh, but like I said, it's Criterion. This is a piece of history. If you love this type of cinema, this is one of those ones that you're like, you really should watch at some point. Yeah. It's it's very educational to know where all it came from. Yeah, take an afternoon. It's not a bad movie. Well, take two days. Watch the first (laughs) half, take a break, come back to it. Because like I said, it's really, really long. Um, But one of the ones that like, because I love this sort of stuff, I was like, okay, I really should have seen this by now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, yes, I... After I realized it wasn't Sex and Zen, I looked it up and went, oh, yeah, actually, I'm really glad I'm getting this. Oh, that's cool, too. Yeah. Uh, it comes with a brand new interview with, uh, Su- damn it. Su Fung. Su Fung, thank you, uh, who is uh, talking about working, who's the main actress when you're talking about the uh, working with this director and other films that she uh, worked with him on, like the original Dragon Inn uh, uh, interview with the actor Shi Chun. Uh, who talked about working in the movie. And then there's a documentary about the life and legacy of the director, who's got the best name ever, King, King Who. Who. That's great. <laughs> that's like, that's going to be the final season of Doctor Who. Yeah. King, King Who. Who. <laughs> um, I haven't got a chance to watch this yet, but it's a full, it's it's not quite feature-length documentary. Mm-hmm. But still, the guy's made a lot of interesting films, had a huge impact. Uh, Ang Lee is interviewed as well on here, on his own thing, talking about his, like, how he watched this movie and how this and other films and Beijing opera influenced what he ended up making with the groundbreaking Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. A feature with a film critic Tony Raines talking about uh, what's going on in the film business in Hong Kong and Taiwan after the Chinese Civil War and how that affected King Hu's work as a director. And then, of course, uh, the illustrated leaflet that these days mm-hmm. come with criterions. Mm-hmm. I don't know why do they it. stopped doing the booklet and, and now they just do leaflets. Cheaper? Like they fold, it's all fold outs instead of like a booklet. I was like, I miss the booklets. But still,
still, solid criteria on release. Nothing to complain about here. Uh, next up is Barbershop. The next cut. What? By far, my pick of the week this week. Oh, it should be. No, I'm totally kidding. No, you're not. You, you can't take it back. No, I can't. You, can, you can't go back home. No, there are take backs. I'm taking it back. <laughs> but I will say, this is the only Barbershop movie I've ever seen for, like, you know, I see the trailers out there, so like, this is just not going to be my kind of movie. Mm-hmm, it's just, mm-hmm, uh, like, mm-hmm. I'm... I don't get a lot of the references in the trailer. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I had heard so many people saying this was one of the funniest movies they saw this year. I was like, I mean, it's like something like 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really? Yeah. I was uh. like, all right. I've always heard these films aren't too bad. I'm going to They sent it to me. I'm going to watch it. It's not terrible. No, it's not. Well, okay. So, it's, I mean, in fact, at points, it's pretty good. So I like you, you know. Yeah, I like you too. But, Ice Cube. <laughs> like our NWA review. But, you know, yeah. I, I showed my colors. But... This this was definitely just like oh Ice Cube Cube's got a movie style like like he's got a he, he does as as a director did he direct this uh no Malcolm okay. D well one of the reasons I was actually more interested in watching this than the others this is Malcolm D Lee who made Undercover Brother which mm-hmm. was amazing yes. and Roll Bounce which was amazing mm-hmm. and Scary Movie Five but anyway but, hey, but, but no but like a, a, a Cube movie where he's he's definitely running the show it feels like a Cube movie and this is this is no exception yeah the only problem is it's a Cube movie so every beat is the, the goddamn same yeah I mean that's a large Largely true. I, I do like that this is definitely heading down more the territory of something like Do the Right Thing as a mm-hmm. comedy, though, where it's like, it's not enough just to have a comedy. We actually want to talk about what's going on. And I think on the whole, that stuff is pretty relevant and well handled here, which in this particular case is their neighborhood is just getting so fucking bad. They're like, Ice Cube's considering moving his barbershop somewhere else, which would mean leaving most of the other people behind uh, because it's just so bad. He's trying to raise a family. And it's sort of about that, like, well, what is your responsibility as being part of a neighborhood there? Which, mm-hmm. for me, I'm, like, totally with Ice Cube's initial plan. I'm like, fuck this. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. out of here. <laughs> Time to go. No, but it is an interesting discussion. And, of course, you like, the other main characters are Cedric, the entertainer, plays Eddie, the older, the oldest guy in the barber shop. Uh, and then you've got uh, Common playing Rashad, who's yeah. been there for a while. And then we've added in... A bunch of, uh, like, I, I guess this happened in Beauty Shop, uh, the spinoff? I don't know. Oh, what, where, like, Eve and all them were showed up? Yeah, well, now, like, he shares, he decided to split the barbershop with a woman's barbershop. Well, because uh, otherwise they weren't going to make it. Yeah, with a woman's beauty shop. So now they're all in the same space together, and there's a bit of grousing about that early on in the movie that actually is, once again, has some relatively interesting social commentary in it about that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but bringing in a lot of uh, new female characters, including the first appearance in this series, Nikki Minaj, uh, who I never really, I, I knew she was a musician and that was about the limit of it. Mm-hmm. That woman's butt is defying of gravity and the laws of physics. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> um, there's a, I get it. I'm just saying I get the the attention that she has been paid. She's uh-huh, like, uh-huh. she's like J-Lo 2.7 or million. something. Yeah. <laughs> million. You're like, what is in there? My God. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to walk. Or at the very least, you could just bounce anywhere you wanted if you fell backwards. <laughs> uh, but who is surprisingly funny and cute in this yeah, film. Yeah, she's, she's, 
She's not a detractor in any way. No. She contributes. No, she does. In fact, I think on the whole, everybody's pretty good in here with the possible exception of J.B. Smoove, who also always kind of annoys me. Yeah. Um, yeah he just that. always plays the same character and like his character, One Stop, who's sort of like a smooth talking huckster. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just doesn't really add anything to this. No, he's just a, he's just a device. Yeah, he he literally is a plot device <laughs> in this, and that's all he serves other than being annoying. And really feel like he's the one guy who doesn't have any chemistry with anybody else. No, yeah, definitely. Because yeah, <laughs> everybody else in here, you get the feeling that they all really like each other and had a great time filming this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things that makes this work more than it doesn't, is that you get the feeling they were having fun. Mm-hmm. And I can think of a lot of movies that were n- not even close to as good as this one What were was that were watchable entirely because of the fact that it's clear everybody was having a great time. Yeah. That adds so much to a film. I'm actually surprised there wasn't more stuff. Like, there's only two and a half minute gag reel that's not very special. And you're like, there had to be more mm-hmm. footage like that. There had to be. With that big of a cast, I mean, there had to have been tons of flubs and fuck-ups. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you there know? should have been, but... I don't know. They, they, they did what they needed to. They released the movie. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's okay. I haven't seen the originals or any of the others, so I can't base it for comparison. But I was surprised I enjoyed it as much as I did. I mean, it's nothing I'm going to probably come back to anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And certainly I would not, by comparing it to Do the Right Thing, it is not. Like, that film was a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. This is not a masterpiece. So what you're saying is but, they needed more Aiello. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's yeah. fair. Uh, next up is the film that is my pick of the week. Oh, my too. Oh, really? Yeah. Woo! High five. Woo! Uh, that is Sing Street. I had heard from people how good this movie was, and I had no idea. Man, I'm just tearing up just thinking about it now. No, I got it was so, so nostalgic, sweet. it was just ridiculous. This is like just direct. 30s or 40-something-year-old dude nostalgia right into the throat. <laughs> Just jab that needle of nostalgia right up into there and make you remember what it was like when MTV still played good music. Well, what, what, <laughs> I, what I really liked about it was that it could be nostalgic, but absolutely all of the references were necessary to the story. Oh, yeah. They all fit right into it. The idea here is this is in inner-city Dublin in the year 1985, and there's this family that's having some problems as a, you know... I guess was common at that period of time. There were oh, economic was difficulty. There? No, common was oh. not. In the, he was in the last movie, not this. Oh, movie. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> and you know, there's the older kid who's kind of a hippie, mm-hmm. uh, who's a lazy about do nothing, dropped out of college. And there's a the younger kid here uh, who is uh, Aiden. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not his name. Who is the kid who plays uh, Ferdia Walsh Pilo? Who is Connor? Who is being brought out of his expensive a private school and being moved to a free state school, which he is not terribly happy about at all, you know, uniforms and all that business. Yeah, that's gotta suck. You yeah. go to a public school and you still have to I wear know. <laughs> Like, you're a private school, at least you're getting a good education. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, so you wear a uniform, but public school uniforms? What Mm-mm. the fuck? You think that's the one advantage you get is that you don't have to do that. Sure enough, I mean, it's a Catholic public school and the Catholics in the school could not give a fuck. No. They are like the worst teachers ever. <laughs> and you know, some of them even possibly kind of sleazy. Yeah. Uh, but this is not one of those films that's actually about the school. This is a, no. this is 
a building's Roman. It's a coming of age film for this, this kid growing up in the eighties who was trying to find his identity. And he finds it by basically getting a crush on a local girl, uh, Rafina played by Lucy Boynton, who by the way is just charming as hell. I can't wait to see her in something else. She's gorgeous. She's funny. does a great job in this film. Uh, and he lies to her and tells her, yeah, me and my mates were in a band, and uh, we're going to film a music video. If you're, you're, you should totally you're, be in you're, it. You should totally be in it. She's like, yeah, I'll, I'll totally. I'd love to do that. I'm, I'm a model. model. I'm leaving soon for London, but uh, I'll, I'll be here for a while longer. I can do it. So he goes to this guy he literally just met and goes, we need to form a band. <laughs> and, and which they do. Mm-hmm. And, and get the guys together. And, I mean, the one thing about the song you got to spend your disbelief. They get really good, really fast for a bunch of fifteen-year-olds. Well, I mean, one of them's a, a musical wunderkind, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all like, I mean, s- several of them have never played an instrument at all. Some of the one of them is can play anything. Yeah, yeah. No. He's just kind of a little prodigy kid. But like, it's kind of that prodigy kid, and then our main star is writing all the songs together because the main kid, as it turns out, is really good at writing lyrics. You know? Who knew? Um, and they're all, you know, hidden. Loosely hidden versions for his current feelings about the girl. Yeah, you know, uh, based and, loosely on songs that he's just listening. Yeah, to. well, but that's the part of what's so fun about this <laughs> yeah. is that his you, you have these scenes where his brother's like, okay, here's the next step of your education. You got to listen to Duran Duran or you got to listen to Joe Jackson. And then the next scene, he'll be at school. Like the immediate next scene, he's at school dressed up like that person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that my favorite was the Robert Smith look. I was like, yeah, I look like that at one point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is just so much fun. Um, it's just got that sense of innocence uh of youth uh and it and yet nothing about this feels like it was playing on the disney channel at no, all either no. you know it's like uh, he he's in love for the first time it's about first love both of music and of like a person well, you know I, like a weird connection that i made uh not even thematically just essence wise was uh parts of hedwig mm-hmm. like parts of that and parts of this completely meshed like like, they were two halves from the same body sort of thing. I, I could kind of see that, some mm-hmm. of the same feeling. I mean, and this has got a lot of original songs that were written for this band to do. And they're all good. Yeah. They're all, like, yeah. they're songs that you're like, wow, these really feel like songs that would have been hits in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Where you're like, damn, these are some, this is some good music. And it's filled with a lot of actual 80s hits that yes. were really good as well. Now, this is directed by John Carney, who is as it turns out is just one of those guys who's really good at making films that have to do with music. Uh, he did the film, uh, begin again. That was really criminally underseen and was really good with Keira Knightley. Yeah. Keira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo where Knightley's a singer songwriter who gets discovered by Ruffalo's, who is a, a struggling record label executive. And they come to come up with an album together. That's like really good. And it's another one of those, like this shouldn't be as good as it is, mm-hmm. but it's really good. Um, and he also worked on directed, the film once, which is amazing with the actor writer, Glenn Hansard, uh, which is just one, you know, he's a, he's a busker on the streets who Mm -hmm. sort of has a, a a passing love affair with another busker and they write beautiful music together and it's just so good. (laughs) (laughs) And it's another music based sort of love story. This guy's so good at making these films. I don't know what it is. Like like everyone is just slightly changing the genre just a Mm -hmm. little bit. But ultimately, it's just like a musical, like, 
love story. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is no different, except it's also fucking amazing. Yeah. And I I really can't recommend it enough. Yeah, watch that shit, people. I'm actually looking forward to seeing it again. I'm not, I'm not Courtney hasn't seen it, and I'm like, oh, she's going to love the shit out of this movie. Yeah, I still have to show it to, to my lady. Yeah, it's one of those ones that going to be like, thank you so much for showing me that. Pull your pants down. <laughs> uh, and yeah, there's actually some uh, few bonus features here. Not a lot. Writer-director John Carney and Adam Levine talk about it. Uh, their cast auditions, which is interesting because most of this is, a, as far as I'm, I can tell, are really new actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah fresh very, faces. Very young people in this. And then a brief making of uh, featurette. But yeah, totally solid stuff. Uh, moving on to TV, I got to see, but you did not, the television series version of The Girlfriend Experience. Now, originally, Steven Soderbergh, who's executive producer here, made directed a movie with a porn star mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> in the Sasha lead Gray. role, Sasha Gray, of this, which is basically the life of a high-priced call girl that is both sterile and 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 glamorous. It's both sexy and cold. It's mm-hmm. kind of like it's just business, and the, there's a underlying level of sadness to the whole thing but on the whole it's just very ambient slice of life stuff Mm -hmm. this is you know it's a series so it's got to have a little bit more going on than that stars on demand picked this up with riley keogh playing the lead role here of christine reed who is a uh law student struggling to get through law school and to pay the bills uh she's landed an internship at a big law firm and she's just having a hard time working out but her her roommate and friend uh, has Avery, who is played briefly for only the first three episodes by Caitlin Scheel, who you may know if you watch uh, Outcast. She plays the main character's uh, estranged wife. Uh, is like, yeah, I'm, I do this call girl thing and I make a fucking shit ton of money and it's great. It's, and we're not on the street or anything like that. There's this woman. She sets up the stuff for us. We just go. It's mainly like middle-aged uh, white dudes who are all very polite and sweet and they pay you a fuck ton of money and they give you expensive gifts and, you know, if you can deal with that, then that's about as bad as it ever gets. Well, so I used to be an RA and and my floor was the med students and law students mm. and I know for a fucking fact they don't even have 30 minutes to wipe their ass. <laughs> so I don't know how much I believe Th- That's this. the most unrealistic part. However, she does exp- express quite a few times in here that she's gradually taking more and more and more uppers and, and, and caffeine to just function because she's working on like an hour or two hours sleep a night. Mm-hmm. You know, because she's like, yeah, I basically, she says at one point, uh, she's like, it's like burning the candle at both ends. She's like, try burning the candle at three ends. I didn't even know it was possible, but I've been doing it for months now. But that one John <laughs> found out third end. <laughs> nice. Um, and, you know, this is okay. It definitely goes a little into soapy territory. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're really into Riley Keough, hey, she's naked constantly okay. through this thing. There's a lot, a lot of sex in here. I don't know her from shit, but uh, that sounds yeah, good. I, I know she's, I was like one of those, oh, I know that name. Uh, where do I know Riley Keough from? She's the eldest grandchild of Elvis and Priscilla Presley. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. And uh, she has been in a decent amount of movies, although nothing that really is like a, wow, that was a big one. You know, like The Runaways, where she played uh, Mary Curry, was probably the biggest. Okay. And that was a tiny little indie film. But, yeah, I mean, it's all right. It it it, it has... A, there's a, there's an episode about three quarters of the way through here where she is put through the most stressful scenario imaginable. And the whole episode is just imagine like your worst day at work you could ever have, mm-hmm. period. And it is so stressful to watch. I was like, God damn, it's so well filmed. And the whole series is very well filmed. It's, it's just like the show though. It's kind of sterile and sexy at the same time. It's cold. It's, 
you know, it's supposed to be reflective of the this woman who thinks she might be a sociopath. Okay. She's like, I just don't have any feelings. She's like, I don't. This is why I can do this because I don't. I don't really feel anything. No, that's why she's a lost. <laughs> she actually asks her her sister if she might be a sociopath. She's like, I think I might be a sociopath. Um, and it doesn't go into the oh, she's gonna be a killer. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. It's more realistically so. But I guess the biggest problem is like that I have here is that everyone's all these guys are like she's supposed to like one of the most requested people on the staff of call girls and they all love her and fall in love with her but she's so bad at it it's like i get that like she's kind of emotionless but like to be good at that you got to be able to fake being interested yeah yeah every sex scene she just looks bored out of her fucking mind and you're like okay even if you i get the point might be that you are bored but because you don't really get off on this stuff but at the same time, the guy's looking right at you. You're just—you're not doing anything. You're just not very good at this. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. get the part where you're supposed to be such a great call girl. She's just like dead eye staring him. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> I was like, okay, if you say so. I just—I guess overall, I wasn't that impressed with her acting choices. It's not that she's a bad actress; just the choice to play it to that degree where even when she should be performing within the performance, right. she's not really doing it. Okay. So issues with that. But I mean, it's an interesting enough of a story where it goes. I mean, it certainly, like I said, can get stressful at points. It certainly has the weirdest last like finale episode for a show that presumably is, that, that is getting a second season where nothing fucking happens. No, like, the last episode is just like, a, like, you know, a couple hours in the life of her on one of her jobs. And there's just really nothing pertinent that okay. happens to the plot. <laughs> Why was that the last episode? Anyway, it's like I said, it's Soderbergh. He did such a good job with the knack. And this isn't bad. It's just not for me. Fair enough. Next up is iZombie Season 2. And now finally available on Blu-ray Season 1, which previously was only available on on, uh, DVD. Diverter. Did you get to watch any of these? Uh, Not really of of Season 2. I was more catching up on the end of Season 1. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you were like, okay, well, I want to see what the hell's going on here. Well, uh, iZombie, of course, if you haven't seen or heard of it, is based on the Chris Robertson-based uh, uh, comic book series for, mm, was it DC? I think so. I don't know. Mm, it's killing me now. I'll uh, say it was Vertigo, but uh, uh, see, now I'm actually, yes, it's Vertigo. DC Vertigo did it. And it's very different from said comic book, but uh, in its own episodic sort of comedy way, it's actually pretty funny. And well, well done. I mean, Rob Thomas had a, a pretty big hand in, in crafting this, so you yeah. know it was going to be a sassy blonde. Well, yeah, it's it's Veronica Mars with a zombie. Yeah. It totally <laughs> is. It's, it's Veronica Mars with a psychic zombie. That, I mean, if you wanted more Veronica Mars, you're like, damn it, I didn't get as much Veronica Mars as I wanted. Well, then here you go. Well, here you go. This is like, this is the, it's so Veronica Mars, I don't even know how to start. Now, hopefully this act, actress won't marry Dax Shepard. That's, that's, oh, that's Jesus, my only hope. what a horrible idea. <laughs> Ugh, why even say that out loud? <laughs> uh, they seem very happy Yeah, Rose that. McIver plays the lead role here of Olivia, uh, the... Um, psychic zombie who gets psychic flashes of uh like people's memories when she, after she eats their brains mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. she works in a morgue and so she ends up solving crimes and yeah. stuff and she gotta eat girl gotta eat yeah I, I wondered where i'd recognized her from she actually had a recurring role on masters of sex and i was like oh that's where i saw her from oh yeah i gotta go back and watch that again because she's naked a lot in that <laughs> no but in all seriousness she was really good in that but she's all the what goes all the way back you wouldn't guess 
Uh, she's a younger, as a younger girl, was in Xena Warrior Princess and Hercules the Legendary Journeys and Legends of the Seeker. Like, she's been acting for a long time. Uh, she was a regular in Power Rangers RPM. Which okay. I have no idea what distinguishes that from regular Power Rangers. But, but it's, it's better than NPR. But yeah, I mean, like, this show is cute. It's it's funny. It's it does have a a plot that moves along, but not in a you know your regular mythological based show. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, it moves and things happen and the plot changes. But generally speaking, anything that's too big cycles back, mm-hmm. so we can get back to a status quo of behavior, which is her eating brains and solving crimes. What you got to do? Yeah, and it, like I said, it's fun to watch. It's certainly not on my primary list of stuff where I go, oh, this is something I don't miss, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's. Like, it's one of those ones when I do watch it, I don't regret, regret watching it. It's yeah. nice to finally get the Blu-ray of this. It's just such a solid cast on this thing. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen iZombie, it is totally worth yeah, checking give it, out. Give it a, give it's it a go. It's very cute. Uh, and then the, uh, the last series I got to see you didn't get to see, which is the third season of The 100. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Now, the second season of The 100 surprised me because it was fucking good. It was It was, now. like, really good. It's like, the idea is there was this... Like, there was a nuclear war on Earth, and the only people who survived were people who were up in the space station. And so they, like, have since they figured out a way to make the air last longer than you would think was plausible. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, but it's gotten to the point where it's a little desperate, like, a generation later. Uh, And they're like, well... All these kids that are in our juvie hall, instead we're going to ship them off to Earth. And they're like, well, it's there hasn't been that long. It should still be totally radioactive. It's like, well, we have a very implausible theory that maybe it's not. <laughs> <laughs> See, we want it to not be. So they send them down to, to Earth, and turns out, lo and behold, despite this, you know, a certain amount of, like, you know, three-eyed, like, monkeys walking around and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, on the whole, it's very livable. And, and before, unfortunately, there's also people who never left indigenous Uh-oh. tribes there that are, like, barbarian tribes. And oh, man, tribes. Earth 2. And the second season was, like, where it turned out there was a whole underground city of people that kept their civilization and their culture, but are complete, cannot go above ground. Like, they die instantly if they try to breathe the air. They huh. would not be adaptable to it whatsoever. Uh, and they... Uh, but of course, you know, everything seems great. Oh, all these people, it's wonderful. They have all the civilization, but then they're basically abducting the barbarians out there and performing medical experiments on them and all sorts of nefarious stuff. So yeah, they go the way of the dinosaurs at the end of the second season. Third season, we're like, well, what now? Well, now you get full blown into, wow, Game of Thrones is really popular. Maybe we should go that <laughs> way, where there's just a ton of these different barbarian tribes that are warring and battling versus each other for dominance. Okay. And how the main characters here are in various levels getting brought, dragged into this thing, while at the same time, uh, a new group of survivors uh, from another arm of the station that crashed on Earth, because all the remaining humans, that that whole station, since, crashed on the planet, and somehow most of them survived. (laughs) But uh, uh, a new guy is found, is very charismatic, and starts convincing people. He basically is a black Donald Trump. He's like, all barbarians are bad, and we should kill them all, and we shouldn't do everything. Even though they're on the really, like, literally three seconds from forming a treaty that would make the humans officially one of the tribes so that nobody would fuck with them. You know? And it's like, we're just about to be, everything was going to be great, and this dude fucked it up for everybody. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Make Earth great again. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of... This has a lot of the same problems the first season does. A lot of people doing really silly, unbelievable stuff. Uh, the biggest problem is there's a subplot here where this dude who was one of the survivors uh, discovered this super AI that was the one that caused the war in the first place. Oh, okay. Basically, was given the instructions, what can you do to 
fix this prob- planet's problems. <laughs> it's like, uh, kill all the humans on it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but now wants to basically uh, infect everybody. Like, like, literally, they take this pill and it puts, like, silicon strands into their brains and then it has to do what the AI says and it gets super oh, stupid. Oh, God. Yeah. Doesn't work Toxoplasma. at all. But uh, you're back to the toxoplasma Yeah, again. I love it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, it's okay. It's just such a letdown after the really good second season. It's like, uh, it's... Uh, I think maybe one more season, guys, and wrap this thing up. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> it's gone so far past the original book at this point mm-hmm. that it's like that that it was based on. It was like you're spitballing, and 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 you're just gonna have to do better. Yeah. What if uh, what if uh, what if Jeff Goldblum appears? There just aren't enough young hot people to make this continue on for like six seasons. Mm, Not enough yeah. in the world. They're all they're all in the originals. Although they do go through them pretty fast in the series. They like they started off with. I mean, it was called the 100 because. Mm-hmm. There was a hundred of them. Yeah, yeah. And so, pretty big cast, although, of course, you're like, huh, how come we never saw that guy until, like, episode 19 and suddenly <laughs> they're a major character? But, uh, yeah, like, they, these people, these kids die off so fast, I almost bet if you went through and did a count of how many of them we saw die on screen, mm-hmm. you'd be like, yeah, that's like 137. <laughs> <laughs> they should long since you, all be You double-dipping. Uh, and our last release for this week is what I like to call our giveaway. Take it. You need it. And that is a South Korean film, not a North Korean film, because then it would just be like, all hail. Uh, <laughs> but a South Korean film called The Tiger. Uh, and the original title is The Tiger, An Old Hunter's Tale. Now, this is interesting because it's brought, brought to you by Park Hoon Jung, who is writing and directing, but is best known as uh, uh, a writer that has in best known as mainly just a writer in um, uh, Korean film who did... Uh, and now I'm blanking on the name of the film. The Devil... Uh, what the fuck was the name went of it? Went down to Georgia. No, not The Devil Went Down and, to and Georgia. Mrs. Jones. No, not Mrs. Jones. The Devil Miss Jones is a good point. Yeah. Um, uh, the one about the cop hunting the killer, and they start sort of reflecting each other's behaviors. It was like really crazy South Korean film that came out like a few years ago. Dude, that's so It was like Park Jun Wook or something like that. I'm blanking on the name of it right now. Damn it. I did have the IMDb link, and I screwed up, and I don't have it now. Anyway, uh, point being is very good writer who has written this story that's basically a fable. Okay. It's presented in not that way, but as it goes along, it becomes clear this is this is a fable. Okay. You know, and should be taken in that context. Uh, the story of this old guy, uh, Chun Man Duk, who's an old hunter who lives with his young son, played by Choi Min Sheik, who is one of the best-known Korean actors that there is. He's he, the old boy. He's old boy, yeah. <laughs> he's like one of those guys you see him, you're like, oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, I love that guy. Uh, and they live way up in the mountains and where it's always snowing and shitty. <laughs> That's coming from someone who lives in Austin. It's like, fuck that. Uh, meanwhile, the Japanese have invaded Korea and they're all down there and they've decided they're going to wipe out all the tigers on the mountain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're taking Tiger Mountain. Yep. Sorry, with all apologies to Brian Eno. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the problem is it's gotten down to the last few tigers and they're like giant, crazy you know, like the biggest tigers ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're tigers. They're, they're they're basically what they call the mountain kings. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the big they they manage to kill the 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 female and her cubs, which only serves to piss off you know the the the, 
the last one, the man, which they call the Mountain King, which is like only has one eye and is a total badass, practically a dinosaur. I mean, mm. it's practically a saber-toothed tiger, pretty much. Uh, it's so big and fast and basically a superhero for for tigers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the Flash, essentially. And for Koreans, because, yeah. I mean... It's like if the Flash and Wolverine had a kid together and it was a tiger. The Flasherine. Yeah. Yep. And maybe a bit of the Hulk in there, just okay. to be clear. Uh, but... This guy, everybody wants this guy to help hunt the tiger. And he's like, I, I don't hunt anymore. I don't do that anymore. And, and you keep wondering why. And it has something to do with his dead wife. And so one of the things as the film goes along, you start learning more of what happened to this fucking dude. Why yeah. is he so broken? Uh, but there's another guy who used to be friends with him who's in charge of hunting the, the, the tiger who looks all kinds of badass. He's got these big tiger scars on his face. You're like, he's clearly encountered a tiger before. Yeah, he puts the tiger bomb on it. <laughs> uh, and... As it goes along, and it's relatively long. It's like two hours and 18 minutes, but it, but it moves pretty fast. Like, you just – they keep sending people out to capture this tiger, and the tiger keeps taking them all out. Mm-hmm. Tiger, and I don't mean like one of those, the ghost in the darkness, like slow, stocky tigers. <laughs> no, I mean tiger that comes into this fight like Wolverine. Just like, wow, and just starts ripping people apart and jumping around and doing flips and stuff. You're like, that's a badass tiger. Doesn't feel the need to be coy. <laughs> it does not. But – uh I mean, at its worst, the CG here is typical Asian movie CG, where you're like, okay, it's not even close to as good as American film (laughs) CG. I mean, the worst CG you've seen in American film in the last five years is still better than in any Chinese, Japanese, or American Suicide Squad's uh, CG uh, is is still better than the CG we're looking at here. But this is as good as I've seen CG in a a, in a Asian film. To be honest, it's um, at points the tiger looks like a real tiger. Until it starts moving. <laughs> and then it looks like some kind of wireframe type of thing. But you don't really care because it's actually a really moving story. Uh, this guy's relationship with his kid uh, and how the kid's trying to basically wants to be his own man. And that's making terrible decisions. And how this all tied into his relationship with his wife and the way the tiger, who's basically a symbol for don't fuck with nature, yeah. <laughs> you know, has this what's it, balance relationship with this guy's own story like their stories sort of parallel each other mm-hmm. uh and it's really well done i really really enjoyed this quite a bit and i wish i could have well i actually have a copy for you oh yeah. excellent so uh but the other copy i got we're gonna give away to one of you crazy people out there who wants it uh you gotta be on twitter okay you gotta put at one of us net okay you've gotta have hashtag tiger giveaway and by the way lately i've been getting people not putting the hashtag with the giveaway guys i can't find your shit if you don't put the hashtag yeah on wasted it. trip baby so, so put the hashtag on it or you don't i can't qualify you or nobody yeah. said nothing about no tigers don't forget the hashtag and uh what should they write <sighs> their feelings no, not that. No, I, I got. I don't know. There's, there's, there's not. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's let's think about it. Let's think about it. Let's, let's logically go through this, Joe. Mm. What should they do? What should they write? So we've got tigers. Mm-hmm. We've got Koreans. Yeah. We've got snow. Mm-hmm. We've got mountains, and we've got bad CG. Okay. Uh, Give us your best made-up Korean uh, dish name. Korean dish name? Yeah, yeah. Like what it would be translated to, like like tiger taking a piss or something. Oh, like okay. That. Fair yeah. enough. That I was like, I, we're bordering on racist. Okay, now yeah. Take your favorite Korean and send them to us. 
<laughs> Send us a picture of your favorite goofy. No, no, I video. want them. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, so that's what you got to do. So do that, and you could win the Blu-ray copy of The Tiger, which I, if you if you like like Korean films, which I do, I think Korean mm-hmm. has got one of the most interesting film industries going on right oh, now. Oh yeah, and hell, even if you don't, because this is a lot of Korean films are twisted, dark, twist, twisted thrillers, and this is more oh, I love sort em. of like. Uh, like if Neil Gaiman wrote a Jack London story, <laughs> <laughs> Neil London. Uh, if you like that stuff, you're gonna love that. So uh, anyway, until the next show, which actually will be next week, I believe. Uh, we need a new sign out. We gotta have some sign out because I'm sick. I don't like the old one. Oh, the no things with the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Going, and, and, and hey, how'd uh, I get there? Yeah, I don't like that one. <laughs> so what's the what's the what's the new sign out? Uh, don't adjust your dial. Yeah, yeah, keep it locked to the left. Keep it locked to the left. <laughs>